Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul confronts those people who believe themselves to be morally superior and better than others. Do you believe that you are not as bad as other people? Do you actually believe that you are less sinful and that God may give you a pass on Judgment Day? Let's open our Bible now to Romans chapter 2 and see where we need to truly repent of our moral superiority. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It is a Saturday afternoon here in Texas and hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to be a, uh, a more devout disciple of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, we are, uh, we're moving into Romans chapter two today. Um, man, I'm looking forward to this. My wife and I have been been out of town. We've been uh, visiting my uh, my parents in the Northeast, and uh, it's a different experience up there. It's a it's a different culture than it is here in Texas, and uh, you know it just allows from uh, allows for some unique perspectives, right, Scott? So, golly, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, your grace on our lives, Father. We thank you for this book of Romans, Father. We thank you for giving us this book of Romans. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you. We praise you today, Lord. Lord, for your life, your death, and your resurrection. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see, ears that hear, hearts to understand. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen. All right. This Romans 2 now is, uh, is, is, is heavy, okay? And the reason it's, it's particularly heavy is because Paul is going to be dealing with, uh, you know, with, uh, with a particular kind of people that, that are everywhere in our current culture, uh, you know, in the world today. Paul is going to be, be dealing with people who would say, you know, yeah, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm, a, I'm not a sinner. And they may even proclaim themselves to be sinners, but they act morally superior to, to other people who they believe are in like the really bad sins. And so they're judgmental, they're critical, they're unforgiving, they're not compassionate, um, they don't walk in mercy, and they have an air about them as if they're superior or they're not, quote, as bad as sinners as other people. And, and Paul is going to is going to systematically destroy that attitude here in Romans. And uh, and like I said, it's important because it's something that just pervades the culture of the world and it's everywhere in the church. So I don't know how far we're going to get, but let's start in verse one. You, therefore, have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? 
not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. Verse 5, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6, God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who, who, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. Wow. My, 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 my. Now, again, remember in chapter one, um, you know, Paul has the incredible introduction. Um, you know, he, he, he speaks to, you know, his audience. He gives the reason for his writing. There were five teachings on, uh, on Romans one. Um, but then from verses 18 to 32, he just, uh, he outlines, you know, just the sinfulness of all humanity. And he gives like three stages of it. Right. Um, you know, and finally he ends in chapter one, as you remember, um, with they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And so, you know, and before this, Paul was speaking about, uh, you know, the sins of the flesh, sexual sin, and, it, and it's, you know, in its different ways, um, you know, whether it be fornication, whether it be adultery, whether it be homosexuality. And ultimately, you know, it gives way to just the deepest sins, the sins of the soul, the sins of hate and malice you know, wanting harm to come to other people, having no compassion, no mercy, no forgiveness. Paul said they invent ways of doing evil. And so now, as we turn over into chapter two, Paul is going to, you know, led by the Holy Spirit, you know, very clearly deal with, deal with something he knows that's coming up in the mind of his readers now. And that is, well, you know, I'm not like that. You know, well, I'm not in adultery. You know, I don't live in, you know, fornication. I'm not, I'm not a homosexual. So, you know, you know, really, I'm not that bad. Yes, you are. And, and that's something that, that's, that, that is a massive problem in our culture today. We, there, is a, uh, there is an attitude of superiority. And as I said, not only in the world, but in the church. We really do think that we're better than other people or we're less sinful than other people. And what Paul is going to deal with here is that at the foot of the cross, all of us are equal. Every human being is desperately sinful, hopeless, helpless, headed to hell if not for Jesus. So I'll ask you, do you understand that? Or do you look at yourself and say, well, you know, 
I've never killed anyone, you know. Um, you know, I've never, you know, robbed a bank and, and I don't steal. Do you believe yourself morally superior to other sinners? Now, hear me. Of course, you know, it's worse to, to commit adultery, you know, than it is to, you know, to gossip. But gossip is still sin. It's still horrible. It's still wicked. It's still wrong. And it, it will still send us to hell, save Jesus. So when Paul says here in verse one, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. When Paul says do the same things, he's not saying that they do the exact same sins, okay? He's not saying that they're they're walking in the exact same sinful lifestyle. He's saying that, you know, you too, who are judging and believing yourself morally superior to everyone else, you know, you have your own backyard full of sinful things. And again, oftentimes they're sinful things in a different way, okay? You know, some of the most morally superior people, people who think they're morally superior, can be some of the most unforgiving people. There's literally no sin worse in the Bible than unforgiveness. Okay. Now, again, I, everything he talked about in chapter one is absolute sin and it needs to be repented of. Okay. So, all the things he went through, lying, greed, sexual sin, okay? You know, you know, any type of sinful behavior needs to be repented of. Um, we need to go before Jesus. We need to acknowledge it. And we need to, you know, ask the Holy Spirit to help us to live a lifestyle that's pleasing to him and not living in these, in these sinful ways, okay? Um, so there's no license to any sin. But again, Paul is speaking here to the individual that, that would say, you know, well, I don't do any of those things. And you or I might think we're better because of that. And we're not better. We can often be worse. I've said this before. People who have a hard time forgiving, and this is, this is a big problem in the church today, is unforgiveness. The reason that, that we have a hard time forgiving is because we really don't understand how bad we really are. We really do believe that we are superior. We really do believe that we're, we're not as bad, or we would say not so bad, and that's just not the case, okay? The reason the scripture demands forgiveness is because we have been forgiven an, uh, you know, a, a debt that's inconceivable. Every one of us has a sin debt, to God our Father. We have a debt of sin, and that debt must be satisfied, and it can only be satisfied two ways. Either we can, we can spend eternity in hell paying our sin debt ourselves, or we can receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and he'll pay our sin debt, okay? At the cross, Jesus died in our place, was punished in our place, and was judged in our place. And when you receive Jesus as your Savior, all of your sin, past, present, and future, is credited to Jesus at the cross, and his perfect, righteous life that he lived when he walked the earth is credited to you. 
It's kind of an incredible swap, right? It's, it's, it's amazing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So again, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. So what we want to repent over here today is the first thing we want to acknowledge, and certainly I've, I've done this in my life, is where we think that, you know, we're not so bad. Where we think that, you know what, you know, we're better people than other people, you know, or we're not like those other really nasty and, and, and you know, and, and terrible people. And that somehow that God views us in a different way than he does other sinners. Whether you were, you know, and I'll, I'll try to use as graphic an example as possible, whether you were Hitler or, you know, just the little old man and woman just that just lived their life and minded their business but never received Jesus, the wrath of God is building on them, on them both. And both will spend eternity in hell without Jesus because both are utterly sinful. Now, hear me. No one has the same reward in heaven. If you're a genuine Christian today, you'll stand before Jesus at the end of your life. Uh, you'll go before you know his judgment seat and you'll receive a reward for how you lived your life in Jesus Christ, how you used your time, talents, and money in the service of Jesus. In the same way, no one has the same punishment in hell. So in the example I use, someone like Hitler would have a, you know, a far greater punishment in hell then the little old man and lady that that lived their life together and, and were married, but but you know refused Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, both would be separated from God for eternity in hell. So he says you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Again, and what he's saying there is that the person who thinks they're morally superior. And in Paul's day, this was generally the Jewish people, right? The Jewish people, you know, thought that they were somehow you know, because of their lineage, because they had Abraham, because they had the law, they somehow had, you know, in their minds that because they had this revelation of who God was, that, that somehow they were going to be credited for having an understanding or revelation for who he is. And Paul's going to tell them, no, 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 you're not getting any credit for that. You know, you don't, you don't get credit because you have a revelation, because you have a Bible. He's going to tell them it's it's based on what you do, not based on what you know. And again, in these chapters, what he's ultimately going to do is prove that every human being is sinful, and, he, and he's showing us our need of a Savior, okay? So he says in verse 2, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. Um, when, when, when the Lord judges us, you know, it's not going to be based on anything we think it, it's not going to be based on our ideas. It's going to be based on absolute truth. Let this verse hit home. Romans tw uh, two, Romans two, two. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So, you know, we could have an idea, you know, that, that God might judge us on our, you know, on our good motives or on our good intentions or on our thoughts or on what, you know, on what we understand to be true. But 
the judgment of our heavenly father against our sin, if we're not in Jesus Christ, because if we're in Jesus, right, Rap, all of our judgment has been put to Christ on the cross. Jesus was judged in our place, right, Becky? Um, but when we're not in Jesus Christ, it's just going to be the facts of the matter. And whether you were in, you know, the, the deepest sins of Romans 1, or whether you were just a moralist who passed judgment on other people, but yet you had all these other kinds of sin in your own life, the reality is just going to be made plain. And here's the reality, Romans 3.23, right, Stephen? All of us have sinned and fall short of God's holy standard. Right, Nathan? All right. Verse 3. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Now, again, he's not saying you do the exact same sins as them there, but he's saying that you too have a sinful lifestyle. Your sinful lifestyle may manifest in a different way, and certainly it does, okay? All of us, all 8 billion people in the world are sinful. We all have sinful thoughts, we say sinful things, and we have sinful actions. And in Jesus Christ, we ought to be living a lifestyle of increasing holiness, where we, we are attempting to, to not, you know, live in a sinful way and think in a sinful way and, and speak in a sinful way. But he says that, so when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Again, the moralist has this idea that God knows I'm not so bad. He says, do you think, Corinne, you will escape God's judgment? Well, after all, I mean, I'm not so bad. I mean, we haven't killed anybody. I mean, we don't live in adultery. I mean, we're not terrible liars. We're kind of generous. No, right? All of those things are good. We ought to live a good life. But the idea that God is not going to judge us, judge us because we're not as bad as other people or those really bad people is false. No, we won't escape God's judgment because we too are, are, are sinful people who need a savior. And I'll say again, the purpose of this chapter, right, Pop, is to drive you to the understanding of your need of Christ. Um, verse four, or do you show contempt? Wow. Or do you show contempt? You couldn't care less. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Meaning, again, if you're in a place today, and, and, and this is important because, uh, you know, countless people who believe themselves to be Christians and very well may be Christians still have this, 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 this superiority about them, still believe that they're better people than they really are, and yet they can, they can live in a life of unforgiveness. They can make excuses and do consistently make excuses for, for, for levels of, of unforgiveness, for times where they have no compassion, for places where they're not generous, where they're not loving, where they're not compassionate where they're not kind, where they're, where they're hateful, where they're dismissive, where they're apathetic. And, and, and we can deceive ourselves in thinking, you know, we're, 
we're really not that bad. It's, it's extremely prevalent in church leadership. You know, when we get into church leadership, we really can think that we're better. And hear me, we are not. I'm not. Okay. We are certainly no better because we have ministry titles. If you're a, a pastor today, an elder, a deacon, a bishop, a priest, a pope, whatever you are, hear me, you're no better. And in many ways, we're worse. This Paul is speaking here primarily to the, to the, uh, to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of his day were the ones who most had this attitude. So if you're in a place of Christian leadership today, you are, and certainly I am, you know, we're in the greatest danger of this, all right? So it's something we want to step back. We want to look at our lives and not just in a generalized way, not just in a way that says, yes, I know I'm, you know, I'm sinful, but we consistently stand in this kind of pastoral or priestly place. We're thinking that we are somehow righteous and we're dealing with all the little people. Forgive us, Father. And again, I'll say again, if you're in a ministry leadership position today, you ought to examine your heart and there ought to be some level of repentance. Certainly, I can look into my own heart and see where I, you know, I've needed repentance and do. And uh, like I said, it's just, it's extremely, it's rampant, this attitude of superiority in church leadership. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance, meaning your heavenly father is being kind to you. He's being tolerant to you and me. He's being patient with us, right? Um, and are we just indifferent for that? Do we not care about it at all? Do we just so contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? Completely unaware that, that it's his kindness, his tolerance, and his patience that's leading us to repent, you know, just over the sinfulness of our own lives. Now, again, the application of this begins with receiving Christ. If you somehow have a belief in your mind that the Lord is going to just overlook your sin because it's really not that bad, that's really the primary purpose of what Paul is dealing here. And, you know, you want to right now stop the tape, go before Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinful person, Lord. I know I can't save myself. Lord, I know I'm not superior. I know I am sinful, hopeless, helpless, desperate, headed to hell without you, Jesus. But I believe you are the son of God. And Jesus, I do believe that you came into this world and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me because I needed it. And I believe you're alive and risen today. And I ask you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. I ask you to come and live in my heart. Save me from my sin and bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Give your life to Christ today. Now, if you are a Christian, if you are genuinely trusting in Jesus, we can still have this attitude and we still need to repent. Just as a, uh, you know, just as a lifestyle application, um, this just this attitude, again, particularly in the West, 
particularly in places, you know, where, you know, where we're, you know, we're financially blessed, we can have this attitude of superiority um, in, in thinking we're better than others. Now, again, what am I saying here? Um, we we want to have a humble attitude. We don't want to have a judgmental and critical attitude. Now, we're still going to call sin, sin. Obviously, all the sins in Romans 1 are bad, okay? And, you know, let's say you have a problem with impatience, as I do, okay? Obviously, that's something you're, you know, you need to be working on. Now, yes, having a problem with stealing or pornography or adultery, you know, are, you know, are, are darker sins and they're sins that are going to come with greater consequence, okay? Um, but just because you and I don't have certain sins, you know, we, not, we ought not be judgmental or critical and look down on those who do. All of us need to repent over the different aspects of sin that are in our life. All right, verse five. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. This is heavy, man. All right. Here's the word wrath. It's not a word we like to use, Nathan. Um, Kristen, it's not something we talk about a lot, right? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart. So I'll, I'll ask you today, do you have a stubborn and unrepentant heart? Because most, most of us who have it, and we all have it in some ways, but do you have a stubborn and unrepentant heart that you refuse to believe that you are not morally superior, that you are not better, that that person that you won't forgive, that you're all as bad? Do you get that? Do you understand that at the foot of the cross, all of us are equal? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. That's when Jesus comes. Jesus is going to come again, and he's going to come in judgment. He came the first time as a suffering servant. He'll come next time as a judge and as a conquering king. This is a heavy phrase here. You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. Uh, we don't really understand the wrath of God against sin. Here it is in Romans 2 verse 5, right? Uh, I can't think of anything worse than storing up wrath for ourselves. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, all the wrath of God, all the punishment due us was placed on Jesus. The wrath of God our Father was placed on Jesus Christ so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty in eternal hell of God's holy wrath. Wow. Wow. Verse six, God will give to each person according to what he has done. It's a heavy verse, right? It's not going to be what we think. It's not going to be what we knew. God will give to each person according to what he's done. Look at verse seven. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Verse 9, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. Now, what is he saying here? What Paul is saying is that if by some means you could, 
Now, we can't. There's If you could live a perfect, righteous life, if you could live your life perfectly in word, thought, and deed, okay, then you could attain heaven. You could attain heaven, okay? You could go to heaven based on your good life. So Paul is setting out a hypothetical here. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. If you could perfectly do that, as Jesus did, then you wouldn't need a savior, but you can't. The scripture has made it clear. God has given his word that every human being is sinful. All 8 billion people in the world is, are sinful and we all need a savior. But if we could, in pers by persistence in doing good, seek glory and honor and immortality, he would give us eternal life if we could do it, but we can't. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there'll be wrath and anger. That's all of us. All of us have rejected aspects of truth. We've all lived in our own way, as we'll see in Romans 3. Um, and in all of us will be under wrath and anger, save Jesus Christ. Verse 9, there'll be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. That's all of us. It's interesting. He says, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So it's interesting, the, the, the Jewish people were the first ones to get the revelation of God, but they'll also be first to get the judgment if they reject Jesus Christ. And that's heavy. It's kind of an interesting balance, right? The Jews were a chosen people by our triune God, and they received the blessings and the revelation, but, you know, you know so they were the first in line to get the, the, the revelation, you know, from the Old Testament all the way up to Christ. And they were first, you know, to, to get the Messiah. Jesus was Jewish, right? When he, when he lived the earth, right? We have a Jewish savior. J Jesus was born in a Jewish Hebrew family, right? Um, you know, in his, you know, as far as his humanity goes, you know, obviously he's not Jewish as God, right? Um, you know, these are human distinctions, right? Human nationalities. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. And that verse can, can almost stand on its own, right? God doesn't show favoritism, you know? So, you know, all of us are sinful. All of us are need a savior. Hypothetically, if we could, right? Um, you know, have, uh, you know, do good, do perfectly good, do everything right, then we could attain heaven by that. But none of us can, you know, we're all under sin. Every one of us is desperately hopeless and we need a savior because verse 11 says that God does not show favoritism. So where are you today? You know, are you in that place as we've all been, right? If we look into our lives, when I look into my life, I can certainly see, right, Esther? I can see, Alicia. I can just see these areas where I thought myself better. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness and grace on our lives. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us where we have believed ourselves to be better than others, where we've been judgmental and critical, Lord, and believed ourselves to be morally superior. Lord Jesus, we know that we're sinners, and we know that we need you. We love you, we bless you, and we thank you, Lord, for living for us and for dying for us.
and we worship you today, our risen Christ. Holy Spirit, seal the message to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.